Hello and welcome to episode 195 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before and talk about the good, the bad, and the Hogarth. This week we're going to be talking about the Iron Giant on your, and all that that implies, podcast. even remember that line oh it was repeated several times oh it really was the okay inspector gadget government dude okay mm, okay because he was trying to be so important and fancy pants okay, fancy pants indeed talking of fancy pants i don't know um <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting segue so you have probably only a week or two left to get your uh, thoughts on Pop Culture Deprived to us. Um, if you've missed the announcement, episode 200 is going to be our last episode. But there is a new show replacing Pop Culture Deprived. If you're very excited for that, you can go on your podcast app, catcher, device, thing, doohickey of choice. And subscribe to Movie Fight Club. But what we want for episode 200 is we want a really good retrospective on our show. We're going to dig into what we've done and what we've liked and what we're disappointed to not have done and so on and so forth and all that that implies. But, <laughs> <laughs> there's a segue in here somewhere. But what we really want to do is hear from all of our amazing listeners. Send us an email, a voice note, a voice recording, a tweet, a DM, something on Instagram, however you want to get it to us. What have you enjoyed about Pop Culture Deprived? What have you not enjoyed? What do you wish we'd done more of? What did you argue with us about? What films did you... What films have you watched because we talked about them? To try and get you down that path. Is there any comments in there that you want to make? To be like, I would never have watched Oscar, but Oscar's a, an amazing, funny film. Thank you for recommending it. And you can On do that. On the flip side, what <laughs> movies did you decide not to watch because you listened to us talk about it? Ooh, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Did anyone decide not to watch Monty Python just because of what Mandy said? <laughs> um, if that was the case, don't tell Matthew because he will stop talking to you immediately. <laughs> um, look us up on social media at Eloquent Gushing. Email us, podcast at Eloquent Gushing. Find us in all the places. Send us a message. Send us a recording. Something to let us know your thoughts that we can include on our episode 200. Please and thank amazing. you. Yes, please and thank you. And all that that implies. And all that that implies. <laughs> the Iron Giant. You hadn't seen this before. Giant. I hadn't. Um, I was. This came out in 1999, mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. So I was a senior in high school and entirely too grown up to watch animated movies. <laughs> I'm okay. just being real. Um, that would have been why I didn't watch it. Did you know of the book, The Iron Man? No. So I think I might have mentioned last week that this was based on a book mm -hmm. called The Iron Man, written by Ted Hughes, that I remember loving. I remember wanting people to read this book to me again and again, or reading along with people. I think I did that in school. I think I did that at home. I think okay. this might have been an early sign of my love of science fiction. Good. It's been interesting rediscovering that for this. Um, I bought it on Kindle. I started reading it. And I remembered, ah, the thing I really liked is the, the opening of the, of the story is a long description of him reassembling himself. The, okay. the hand gets an eye on one of its fingers and walks like a crab and the seagulls attack it thinking it's a new crab and then manages to get to an arm and it drags itself to, make, to the body. And, and it's this long description of this thing that was very cool to young Matthew. Mm -hmm. I remember that bit. 
Was it still very cool to present day Matthew? Yeah, in a nostalgia way, I think it was fine. Okay. I I had forgotten that the book then features a giant space dragon that lands and covers Australia and demands people feed it and then enters a contest with the Iron Man, which it loses and it turns out it's really peaceful and it's part of the music of the spheres that turns humans into a peace-loving species. Well, none of that was in the movie. I'd forgotten that entirely. <laughs> it turns out Edward Hughes, Ted Hughes, who wrote it, was the poet laureate, uh, official poet of Britain. <laughs> um, and he was married to Sylvia Plath, who was an American oh. poet. Mm-hmm. Um, the book was written, to, the story was written to help his children deal with her suicide. Oh. At age 30. Um... And my mum made a comment, because, like, I, I have vague memories of this, but I asked my mum about it just to fill it in. Apparently, I did love it, but particularly that bit at the opening. She said she knows that, that, obviously, she was a headmistress and worked with a lot of schools. Schools loved it because it was a science fiction story, but fairly short, written by the Poet Laureate, so it had a sort of poetic thing to it, that did a lot of cross-curriculum work associated with it, about art, about story about concepts and things so apparently it was very okay. popular in schools as well which i can completely understand hmm. interesting it's very similar to what they did with how to train your dragon where they took the core idea of it giant metal man lands reassembles himself and needs to eat metal and then mm-hmm. formed a new story around it okay because this film is fundamentally different to the book Mm-hmm. In the same way, How to Train Your Dragon, the dragons are totally different. The relationships with them are totally different. But it is still this idea of dragon-hating village learns that dragons aren't so bad. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have no concept about the Iron Man movie, except for the Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man book. Sorry, not movie. Book. Book. <laughs> <laughs> that was apparently why they changed the name for the film, because they didn't want it to be confused with Iron Man. Interesting. Which is possibly fair. The Iron Giant. Yeah, so my knowledge, experience of the Iron Giant was simply because uh, it was mentioned in Ready Player One by Ernest Cline. The Iron Giant was one of the avatars that one of the characters H had in the final battle. Yep. And I was like, (laughs) oh. cool it's this big pop culture thing i should watch that sometime is it does he do that in the book or is it just in the film in the book too it is in the book as well because i remember he had giant mecha but i thought it was more japan influenced it may have been not at the battle it may have just been in h's workshop in the book but it was definitely there okay somehow okay so and of course me being pop culturally deprived assumes that all of the pop cultural references in Ready Player One are big references to things I should know and understand. Mm-hmm. And so since the Iron Giant was mentioned, I needed to watch it. So yes. it went on the list and here we are today. <laughs> so you guys can thank Ernest Klein for this one. So that, this is another book reference. <laughs> the Ready Player One turned into a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, which, again, slightly that's a slightly weird movie compared to the book. Because yeah, read the book, don't watch the movie. The the movie obviously isn't Disney, so any Disney property that's referenced, such as Star Wars and Marvel, is not in the movie. And it's slightly weird for the fact there isn't lightsabers and stuff mm-hmm. in this thing that should have lightsabers. Right. <laughs> uh. Yeah, yeah. I it it just 
You know what? This is not a Ready Player One podcast. So we're not going to talk about that. <laughs> the Iron Giant. It, it has a fond place in a lot of people's hearts. But I think I think we are slightly too old for it. It's part of the issue. I think so. I think that was one of my notes when I was watching it last night that am I just too old to get true cartoons? Because this is a cartoon set in 1957. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very much reminiscent of the cartoons that I would have watched in my youth. Mm-hmm. Way back when. So long know, ago. <laughs> so long ago. Um, I mean, cartoons today are very different from how they were then. Yeah. And I think it. I have just forgotten the wonder and delight that I had in such stories. Mm-hmm. And I did not find said wonder and delight okay. watching this as a almost 40 something. Because this is person. just after the Disney Renaissance. Mm-hmm. Aladdin, The Lion King. Beauty and the Beast, and so on. Um, and it's at the time when Disney's also doing things like, I'm going to say Treasure Planet, and maybe Meet the Robinsons, and then in a couple of years they will do Lilo and Stitch. So they're going into their slightly weird phase. Mm-hmm. So like this, this just, it felt weird because it wasn't, it wasn't like a Pixar movie where there's something defining about the way it's made, right? That fundamentally makes it different. It's yeah. just an animated movie, just like every other animated thing we've seen. Mm-hmm. The story wasn't super unique, mm-hmm. super interesting, honestly. Mm-hmm. And so I, it's just, it's very lackluster. Okay. I think that's, it just, it didn't have any, like even a movie like WB did Space Jam, right? Yeah, yeah, must have done. It's like, but even Space Jam was revolutionary in the way that it did live action and animated together at mm-hmm. the same time. Mm-hmm. This is just a cartoon for an hour and a half. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's not CG. It's not stylized in any way. Because even. I mean, by the time... So this is Brad Bird directing it, who directed The Incredibles. The Incredibles, by that point, we'd had five or six of the CG movies from Pixar. Mm -hmm. Something on those lines, I think. But The Incredibles has a look to it that is also engrossing. and And the people are caricatures in some ways. This is trying to be really standard this is what people look like with and and i was quite surprised it takes quite a while to get into any sort of cartoony moment to it Mm -hmm. it feels like it's a drama film animated and again there were there were people releasing things like anastasia as an animated film and so on like doing this had a very similar look to anastasia Mm, exactly i think they've almost done too well then because the iron giant himself is cg He's not really? he's not hand drawn. He is a model. And one of the oh. things they did is they actually wrote part of the program to make the line edges of him have a slight variation to them so they're never perfect. So he looks he doesn't look like a fixed model compared to all the rest of them that were hand drawn on every cell. Hmm. And definitely great. Did well not done then. Yeah, it. right? Yeah. So it did what they wanted it to do. I, I would say that this does better than a standard animated film, a, a kid's film, film for children. 
because, you know, I think of there were films like, I'm going to say the film Storks, which was doing something is lost and something has to get back home or be recovered or something, you know, the, the standard kids film plot. And it was just had a couple of moments of comedy, but didn't really stand out at all in the rest of it. It just, whatever, didn't work. And there's been a lot of films like that as, as animation has become a bigger market. Mm-hmm. I think this film doesn't do the comedy fun of animation very well. Because the set pieces in this, you're absolutely right, are really ordinary. Him trying to hide the hand around the house and get it out and then suddenly the guy turns up and so on. We've seen that done a million times and we've seen it done mm-hmm. better a million times. Right. Um, and it's really clunky. The bit at the end where the Iron Giant reveals himself by diving in to save the kids, it's really clunky. It just... Suddenly these kids are falling and suddenly he's there saving them despite being so far away. It just, mm-hmm. you know, there's more graceful ways of doing this. But I think story-wise, some of the stuff it's doing in terms of the 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 metaphor, the moral of you don't have to follow orders, you have a choice of whether to be the villain or the hero of the piece, um, the stories of military might, of believing people, of not believing people, of believing the, of the good of people rather than going in aggressively on people. Mm-hmm. That sort of stuff that I also like seeing in a kid's film. I think it does very well. I think it, okay. it does it not necessarily hitting you over the head, which it could do, but very nicely of, in the end, he chooses to be Superman and save everything. Mm-hmm. See, I thought it was a little over the top and a little heavy handed okay. in some places. Mm. Um I there were a few moments where I think I like scoffed and rolled my eyes. <laughs> right. Um and, and it it largely I think had to do with the lines of um you're not a gun, you don't have to be the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, because they did that several times throughout, like mm. when he was first learning what a gun was, um, when the deer was shot mm. by the hunters. Um, and then they did it again in the junkyard. Mm-hmm. And then they did it again at the end. The final story, the final, I guess, beat of yep. that message was good because he chooses, he, he says, I'm not a gun. And he stops himself from doing the defense mechanism, mm. which is great. But the stuff leading up to it, I felt, was not subtle okay. enough. Okay. I, I wanted it to be a little more subtle. It just felt. And then contrasting it with the the very, I don't even know what you call him, but the, the military guy. Not the general, mm-hmm. because the general actually ends up being a reasonable dude. But yeah. the, the guy, the Inspector Gadget looking dude, I don't know his name. Who was Kent Mansley. Kent Mansley. Um, he was very, very over the top and very, the government is bad. And like, that's what he's teaching is that the government is going to get you. And and then the, the turn at the end that he's just out for himself. He just wants to make a name for himself with this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I, this might be the issue of watching it when you are 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Yep. That I think I think it's done in the right way for someone who is 8 to 14. Okay. Age appropriate for this film. Because you do need to... Uh, let's compare it to like Spirited Away. Which has a message mm-hmm. of caring for the land and living in harmony with things around you. And 
so on, mm-hmm. being peaceful. But it does it in a very subtle way, just part of the thing. So subtle that I think you can miss it. You can just watch it as a silly film about spirits and mm. conflict. Yeah. And I think because this has a message that, that isn't necessarily right to teach kids in terms of actually going into war and death and what a gun is and so on. But it still is does it in a way that I feel is acceptable. I would not have a problem with my nephew sitting down and watching this and talking with him about it and, and his thoughts on it after okay. because it gives him those prompts, right. those things to go and think about of, well, but a gun is just a thing someone fires. So the choice is then the person deciding to fire it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I, you know, I think you're right. And I think I am just too old this movie given that I don't have children in my life Fair. Mm. if I had children in my life I may feel differently about mm. it and I may have understood it in a different light but I wasn't watching it from that perspective largely because I don't have that perspective <laughs> available yeah. to me so but the it, it's one of those films there was a tweet a while ago that said um, is it actually an underrated classic or did you just see it when you were 14 this feels like one of those films. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's one of those films that I could see people seeing when they were younger and coming away of like, it's amazing. It's such a great film. It's got this moral message. It's got explosions and it's really funny. It's so good. And now you watch it, you go, it, it doesn't have most of those things you remember it having. But it was right. the first time you saw them done. And by the time you've seen them done five or six other times, mm-hmm. better. You go, ah, okay, it was actually mimicking this thing that did something and it was mimicking this thing mm-hmm. that did it better and that actually now I've seen them, yes, I can appreciate that it's not as good. Okay, mm. yeah, that makes sense. Mm. We have a new show coming out mm-hmm. where we have to defend something or we have to have a go at it depending on how that was chosen. Right. If I was to tell you to be positive about this film, to pick out your favourite things and things that you would use to sell this, other than the things I've talked about already. <laughs> <laughs> are, are there things you would call out from this? Are there things you can say, do you know what, to be fair on it, X, Y, and Z are really good, and, and I think I've gained something through watching those pieces of it, or those elements, or those performances. Mm-hmm. I think it is a really great job, particularly for a movie made in the 90s, set in the 50s Hmm. of showing a single mom working and still taking care of her kid Hmm. in a way where you totally feel the love between the mom and son Mm -hmm. but the son still gets to have shenanigans yeah yeah right um i enjoyed that a lot i enjoyed the character of uh harry connick jr is that dean the beatnik yeah dean dean Hmm. um i liked him too because he like, when he was introduced on screen, particularly the way that they drew him, I was thinking, this guy doesn't even live in this town. Okay. You know, he's just passing through or whatever. But he was instantly on Hogarth's level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every interaction he had with him after that, he talked to Hogarth of his, as if Hogarth was an equal. He didn't talk down to him. And he helped him with the giant. Which was really cool and also led to the really funny lake scene. um i think showing that there are adults who will be on a child's side Mm -hmm. Mm. it's not just a villain you know you you can get help from adults you don't have to do it yourself yeah 
um, is also something you don't often see in children's movies. Mm. I mean, look at adventures and babysitting. Well, exactly right. When we were watching it, Catherine commented that it's it does the thing like in Lost Boys and Goonies and all sorts of other things of it sort of sidelines the parent figure as quickly mm-hmm. as possible, and and it's refreshing when that's not that is not done, which I think mm-hmm. I think they didn't do in Lost Boys or did they? Which way around am I getting this? It's gone. I don't know. No. Um, um, I mean, they did kind of sideline the mom, but oh no, they well, exactly they did adult. the thing, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, but there was still an adult. Yes, but but she was you know she was working. It wasn't just she didn't believe him or something. Although she right. also didn't believe him, but there was well, a relationship there, and yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, any thoughts on Jennifer Aniston as a voice actor? I did not recognize that it was her at first, mm-hmm. and then um, I had to pause it for some reason. And Amazon's X-ray showed up, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's Jennifer Aniston." Right. I think she did fine. I think she, once I realized who it was, I couldn't unsee Rachel Green mm-hmm. on the screen. Mm-hmm. And so I was envisioning if Rachel Green was a parent, this is what she In the do, 50s. And I bought it. <laughs> I, I bought it. So I think she did a better job than uh, Harry Connick Jr., actually. Okay. I I don't think she stands out at all. I think she's just turning up and doing... Mm-hmm. Jennifer Aniston reads the script. I don't think there's, and this is kind of the thing from you as a voice actor. I don't think she's voice acting. She's reading the script no. as she would if she was performing the script, which is a different thing. Mm-hmm. I can see why she's not a voice actor, but she was also very famous at the time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, and so I think Harry Connick Jr. was true. I mean, he still kind of is, but he was like hunk a hunk a dude in 1999. So. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. That's that's all I got. Okay. Uh, any thoughts on the Iron Groot? <laughs> <laughs> God, Joseph made a comment. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he was like, "Man, he was working hard." And I said, "Almost as hard as he did in for Iron Groot." And <laughs> yeah. he said, "He was preparing." <laughs> yeah. Um, it was it, it was interesting to see how the robot's voice progressed Mm -hmm. because in the very beginning it was just the rumbles and then as he started to Mm -hmm. gain language you know there was no sentence structure Mm -hmm. it was i not gun you know things like that Mm -hmm. until eventually at the end he he could speak short sentences Mm. like he couldn't sit and have a conversation like this but that was interesting I mean, Vin Diesel does Vin Diesel, and it's always the same. So yeah, I I think he does a lot with it, and and I think particularly because I'm always impressed with what he does with Groot. There is there mm-hmm. is nuance there. Apparently, there are versions of the script just for him, with the actual lines that he's supposed to be okay. saying, so he can get the emotional re- resonance of them right. Mm-hmm. And you know, it kind of works. Although, let's just get my soapbox for a second. The sure. the bit at the end of Guardians. Where he finds Guardians One, where he finally says, "We are Groot." Mm-hmm. I wish he still said, "We am Groot," for exactly that thing. Like, oh yeah, it's just the "we," whatever the thing I'm trying to. He doesn't have sentence structure. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Thus ends Matthew. So yeah, sorry. Because <laughs> this has got a lot of famous people in the voice roles, but not people who often do voices. Mm-hmm. I feel like we've seen John Mahoney do something else. 
Yes, but it wasn't voice. Was it not voice? I feel like we... Let me quick scan through. Oh, that's interesting. He's in Ants the year before this, and he's in Atlantis, like, a year after this. Because he was in the... Was it Say Anything? He was the dad who got sent to... Yes. Yes, he was. I thought you'd but pause there for a second. Because no, <laughs> you were just like... <laughs> no, I was trying to remember. I feel like we did something fairly recently that had him in it. As Moonstruck. Moonstruck, that's what it was. I remember now. Okay. Um, but I'm not super familiar with him as a voice actor. I'm familiar with him as Fraser's dad. No, it turns so. out he doesn't have much, which is interesting. Em- Emmett Walsh, who is another one you see in a lot of stuff. You don't often, I don't think he's often does voices. Um, but he was so distinctive when he came on. I'm like, wow, that's someone I don't often <laughs> see in a kid's cartoon. And Kent Mansley was Christopher McDonald, who was uh, the husband in Thelma and Louise, Daryl. Oh, mm. interesting. Okay. Again, someone you see crop up in lots of things. Yeah. Mm. Mm. So should we talk about the ending? I did like the ending. Okay, good, 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 good. Because that is like, that is like, the thing everyone everyone mentions this film and they go, "I am Superman." <laughs> yes, that I I liked the ending a lot. It was like, like I was bored in most of the movie, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but then as we got towards the end, it just it rose up it, to the occasion. Yeah, and it kind of pulled on my heartstrings a little bit. Um, I knew, I knew he wasn't going to actually be dead. Um, I had forgotten that he could heal himself the way that he did. And so I wasn't expecting that Mm -hmm. like final coda, but loved it. And and I think that is very much a reference to that opening of the book, which is all about him reassembling. So there is something for me as the kid who remembers that bit and loved it going, oh, yeah, it's in there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. And it, it took me a minute because I think... My expectation for a happily ever after in a movie like this would have been that the robot comes back to Hogarth. Mm-hmm. And they didn't do that. Mm. They ended with, I mean, most of him's in Iceland and he's putting himself back together. And Hogarth just let him go. Mm. And I, I I, think that is a better ending. Even though you don't get that immediate happily ever after because you, you have hope yeah. instead. Yeah. Yeah, because it's it. If he was just there again, it's not like he's subtle and small. It's not like the end of Labyrinth where she turns around and sees the kid, sees the Muppet still behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, if the Iron Giant was still there, you go, okay, well the army's going to come back now, right? Because big giant over there. Well, no, because the army knows he's good now. But I mean, based on the rest of the movie, the the robot can hide and apparently can eat cars completely silently it can indeed and it can hide in their barn whilst also towering over the houses yes <laughs> yes continuity was not a thing no that is and that's one of those things of like kids films oh it's fine it's True. only for kids it's you know but yeah you pick up even as a kid you pick up on these things mm-hmm. mm. so it's not a bad film it's not a bad film, no. It was a lackluster film, and I imagine had I watched it 
when I was 14, I probably would have enjoyed it a lot more. Mm. I would have gotten more out of the story than right. I did yeah, yeah. now. I'm mm. just too old. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. So, Matthew, what's next? <laughs> so, next, we're going to do something we promised a little while ago, but we had to shuffle our schedule around. We're going to be watching a Star Trek film. And not, the last Star Trek Not film. just any Star Trek film. The film that killed Star Trek. So Matthew's not holding anything close to the chest on this one. <laughs> All right. Mm, mm. Star Trek Nemesis coming up next week. Uh, very excited. We, we do have an amazing guest that we love to have on because she can actually talk eloquently about Star Trek and in detail mm -hmm. and picks up on stuff that we don't notice. So amazing to have Jen back with us. Yes. Mm. Just want to remind everybody before we wrap up completely that you do have a little bit of time to get your comments to us for our final final pcd episode so send us your thoughts your memories your wish list that you wish we had done just get in touch with us uh we'd love to hear kind of how you've experienced pcd over the last four years you can find us on twitter facebook and instagram at eloquent gushing or you can send us an email to podcast at eloquent gushing.com or if you just want to send it to me i'm on twitter at mandy k and i'm on twitter at matthew Vose. Don't forget, we are completely funded by listeners like you through Patreon. You get access to early shows and bonus shows and physical merch and exciting things. And you help us to develop new shows such as Movie Fight Club. Go subscribe now. Episodes will be coming out in the spring. If you want to find out more, go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week with another episode where we are going to talk about Star Trek Nemesis. Until then, I'm Amy Kay. And you are who you choose to be. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.